Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Welcome to episode 69. My guest this week is author Paul McVeigh, whose debut novel, The Good Son, won the Polari Prize and the McRae Literary Award. It was also shortlisted for the Authors Club Best First Novel Award, The Guardian's Not the Booker Prize, and a finalist for the People's Book Prize. It was chosen as Brighton City Reads in 2016 and was given out as part of the World Book Night in 2017. It's currently shortlisted for the Prix de Roman Sésame in France. And I had such a good time talking to Paul about the process of writing because not only is he a writer, a short story fiction writer, and a novelist, he's also a writing teacher. So there was a lot of insight and incredible um, behind-the-scenes knowledge that Paul was generous about sharing, um, even with an unfavorable time difference and uh, being on the other side of the world. I have been so eager to release this episode because of all of the insight and incredible aha moments I had while talking to Paul, so I can't wait for you to hear it. And um, all I can say is enjoy. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm very excited. It's really nice to meet you. So you have been prolific in many, many different formats, but you had a novel come out, which has done extremely well and is really always exciting to hear. And I wanted Mm. to talk both about format, but also the evolution of your relationship with an idea, because you said something that really struck me in your site is a complete... I don't know, like a treasure trove of so many wonderful links and articles and readings. I really encourage people to check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. But one of the articles I was looking at, you talked about writing a story and that you had this image of a little boy tickling his mother's legs and that sort of over a course of many years, more images collected. And then eventually it was a story that got written in an afternoon. And I've talked to many people recently who've been struggling with, do I keep this idea? Do I let it go? Is it old? Is it stale? I feel like there's something there. I'm not sure. So I'm wondering if you could talk about your relationship with ideas and how that proceeds over time. Well, um, in relation to that uh, specific story, um, I I was at um, university and um, I was studying theatre. I was originally interested in uh, making plays and um, uh, I was very interested in dance and um, actually non-verbal um, communication was much more interesting to me than, than than anything else. So I used to work with a group of um, actors and on an idea and then strip away as much uh, dialogue and uh, as possible and uh, things. So I was always interested in that kind of being as sparse as possible and what, what we say often I think is um, designed to cover up what we mean mm. and I think that's a fascinating um, concept and when you then um, apply that to particularly in theatre you know because you don't have the paragraphs in between describing someone's thoughts and why and actions and you know behind behind what they're doing the reasons behind their actions uh, in theatre you just have you just have their dialogue so you've got to convey so much um, with that and um, and so I, I, I applied that to um, 
um, prose then, but eventually I was um, I started writing prose. So I, when I was at university studying theatre, I had this idea, you know, and, and this beautiful this image of this boy sort of tickling his his mum's legs and sort of washing her feet. And remembered it. it was something I remembered as a kid um, as well, doing with my mum. When my mum had um, worked a couple of jobs and she would come in, she'd be very tired. And and so it was, I guess it was a memory that, and I wanted to, to do something with it. Um, uh, but in theatre, and it would have been a beautiful thing to do in a piece of theatre, you know, um, uh, and a quite an intimate piece of theatre. Um, but of course, working with children is something <laughs> you don't really often have the luxury to do with in theatre. So I, I, I thought this is something I want to do something with, but I wasn't working in the right, I didn't know this at the time, but I wasn't working in the right form for it event, you know, that, that I, and I just knew I would have it somewhere in, in, in my sort of creative future. And, um, and then years later, um, you know, when I started writing prose and, and, and I, and I keep note notebooks and of course everybody knows as a writer, you must, you must keep notebooks. You know, if you don't do that, then you're, you're bananas, as we say over here. <laughs> uh, so, um, so we, um, uh, so, you know, I was looking through that and I found this, and I thought, well, yeah, I definitely want to do that. And I was, um, uh, in a pub and I heard a story and the story was about, and I don't remember who told the story, and I don't remember whose family it was, it was relating to. And I don't—it could even have been mine, and I haven't been able to find out since. But the story was that um, there was this man who ran during his lunch break, would run a half an hour up to um, this uh, factory where his fiance worked, and um, she would uh, wave out the window. At the same time every day, knowing he would he would be downstairs, but she couldn't see him. Uh, she was too small to see out the window, and he'd run all the way up there to see her hand waving, and then he would run the half an hour back to work. And that was his. And I thought it was just the most beautiful, romantic thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. And um, so that was like, I I thought these two things could be connected. And I don't know why I thought there's something about the intimacy and um, there's something about the touching um and yeah i'm quite intrigued by the, the power of touch something that really um fascinates me and then and i said but that's still not enough for a story you know there's two there's two things and i went to this course and i with a short story writer called adam marrick he's a very successful um very uh, talented short story writer in england and he said, you know, it's about the power of three. You, know, you need three things to make a really good short story. You can't just have one conceit. You need three. And um, I went to my mum has uh, Alzheimer's and um, um, and I went to visit her one day. And um, she hugged me and she wouldn't let me go. And I was trapped in this hug. It was actually it became really uncomfortable mm. because she wouldn't let me go and she was holding on to me and I didn't know that I didn't know whether she knew it was me I didn't know who she thought it was I didn't know and people were staring at us we were in the middle of the sort of conservatory and it went on and I couldn't get her arms off me she was holding me really tightly and of course I just all sorts of things were going through my head and and so that was my third moment and I thought well um, and I started with that one and I said, you know, this, this is going to be, and then I came up with a general, uh, conceit, which I was thinking was quite interesting. It's like a high concept story. So I, the high concept was 
this short story is the duration of a hug. Ah. So someone is trapped in a hug, someone who doesn't want this hug, someone who doesn't know they're even hugging that person, and yet it's their, their mother and, and son, and what happens through the touching and through the memories. And and as the story goes on, then it becomes memory and touch, and he basically um, remembers something that he forgot from his childhood. So even though she's the one with no memory, he's the one, he, is, he was the one that actually forgot something really important that defined their relationship. So it was, it was really um, interesting to uh, put those ideas together. And I think that's what you can do with those little throwaway things that, or seen throwaway. They think, oh, there's, not, there's nothing I can do. Collecting them together and going through your journals and then just pulling them out and then finding three disconnected Images don't they don't have to come from you know these these were things you know twenty years apart and but you know in my mind I'd always sort of work on them somewhere trying to fit them into a project I was doing and then um, so that's when I sat down to write the story it was a commission from BBC Radio and I sat down to um, write it and I wrote it in an afternoon and so people said to me how long did, how long does the story take it's so layered and it's so and I said well you know. <laughs> I either took one afternoon or it took 20 years, but depending what way you look at it. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of that. I love that. I think, because I think there is such a thing. It's like you have all of these moments as a writer, at least. And yes, I agree. You're bananas if you don't keep notebooks. I definitely, the question is not whether or not to keep a notebook in my house. It's how many notebooks is too many notebooks. Yep. Because there's, there's <laughs> so many topics. Like there's like the, the stuff I'm working on now and the stuff people say during the show and then there's the personal journal and then there's the novel in progress and then there's the shit to handle in the second draft of the novel notebook, you know, and you could go on forever. But I think it is, there are these ideas that feel like, hmm, there's something in that, but I'm sort of, either it has nothing to do with the thing I'm writing right now or I don't quite know what to do with it. Or even worse, there's the point where you're like, I was so excited about that and now I'm not anymore and is it okay to let it yeah. go or... Or what do you do when that happens, when the life goes out of it? Have you had that happen? Well, you know, do you know what? This is something I'm, go I'm, gonna, I'm going to say something about that because I have done this a number of times and really, really regretted it. Mm. I've had this really great idea. And for some reason, I didn't follow through with it. You know, I just either... Perhaps if I'm going to be kind to myself, perhaps I was I was working on other things. I was busy busy doing other things. But um, you know, there were some great big ideas, and I think. But actually, if I really look at at, at a kind of um, a, a through line of that, I would say that it would be that they were big ideas. They were very big ideas, and they were big content. And I kind of thought, I don't think I'm good enough yet to write write something that that big and that sort of ambitious. And I regret it. And two of them have now been films. Oh. And almost exactly the same story. And recently I had an idea for a novel. And again, I thought, oh, I don't, it's, am, I, am I really, you know, am I really going to And someone's just come out with it and, I've, and I could really kick myself. I, I mean, when I say recently, within the last two years, and I kind of thought, oh, you're, you're an idiot. And I kind of think that um, those ideas that stay with you and, and, and that are big, give them a go. Because even if you fail, you know, you know, you, you, nothing, no, good writing is never wasted. The failure won't be that it was bad writing. The failure would be that you couldn't get enough going on. And my favorite expression is, you know, I would often say, you know, I would, you know, I'm waiting for my ability to match my intention. Mm. You know, that, that's that, that, there's there's times I just say, like, you know what, I've got this intention. I know I'm I'm not able yet 
to carry this off. Um, but you know, you know, be be a noble failure. You know, do try something. Do it. You know, and 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 then leave it and know that th that character, that scene, that image, or that moment that came that, that you came up with, and you know that you can always use. And 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 also just it's like you know, uh, playing the violin or anything else. You know, you, you you've got to practice. You know, you you, or you you need you need hours of that. And if that hours are spent in a in a, in a, in a big massive um risk-taking uh, ambitious project then amazing you know then you know you're practicing being a risk taker as well as a writer and i think that those things I, and you know looking back now that i'm a bit older I, I those are the things i regret the the ideas that i watched someone else do because i didn't have the the, the nerve to try them and the thing is maybe one of them would have i would have i would have made it when i, I would have made it work but i think yeah i think you know one if it's about confidence you have to ask yourself Get to the root of why you're not doing it. You know, if you've got this really great idea and you're not writing, ask yourself, well, why, what is this? Is it confidence? Is it, you know, what do I need? What do I need to do? And what's what? What will, could possibly go wrong if I give it a try? You know, uh, or, or what tools do I need to acquire? What do I need to go and um, and, and get tools from? Like I, I, I do. I, I'll go to workshops and I'll say, for example, when I was writing my novel. I was really stuck in the middle, and I went to a workshop. On the middle, what do you do? <laughs> you know, it was kind of like you know, just you know, you know, do be really specific. You know, they're they're um. Oh, and the other thing I did was um, oh, I went to a lot of uh, workshops and um writing classes and um, what I would do it sounds so Machiavellian, but I would basically go to these uh, writing workshops and classes and um I would pick the smartest person in the room and I would make them my friend. <laughs> I would just go, you are the best writer in this room from what you're, from the comments you're making, from the little snippet you read out. I mean, I want to, I want to be you. I want, I want that. I want to be as talented, as gifted as that. And, you know, I would, you know, I nab that person at, at lunch or afterwards and I say, can I buy you coffee? You know, can I, can, can, I think you're fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I'd like, I'd love to learn something from you. And I think it's quite interesting when you, um, yeah, I mean, I think most people, most writers um, that I met in these classes and stuff were always looking for what someone could do for them. And, and I think they just went to write it all the wrong way. I mean, for me, I would find someone and think, oh, God, I really want something from this person because I want to find out how great they are. But then I would go and say, is there anything I can do for you? Like, I've got a great blog. Can I interview you? Um, I'd love to read your work. Do you need some copy? You know, can I, you know, is there anything? And then I'd say, you know, and look, you know, if you read something of mine, I'd be absolutely thrilled, you know, and and it nearly always worked, you know. But it's go with an offer, not with a not with an ask. And, and and you'll find that the, the world is a very different place, you know. And I and that's what I would do. So I would, for example, um, I then I would go and um, a good friend of mine, um, an author, Sarah Butler, and she's amazing at writing plays. And so, and I'm used to that. I come from a, a dialogue background, so I'm always thinking about what people are saying and how to convey things. And then, like, I'm re and and Sarah would read my work and go, "Um, Paul, I have no idea where I am." Um, <laughs> I mean, where am I going? We're in a house, you know, like a house, you know, it doesn't matter. We're talking about this. It's really important. She goes, yes, I know. But I just like to know. Okay, what's, you know, just give me one thing. Just give me one thing in there. Describe one thing. Whether it's a wallpaper. Or just, just give me give me two sentences at the beginning just so I know where I am. And then I'll forget about it. I'll go with you. But, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, but, um, you know, so she was she's great for that. And she really keeps me um, in line with that. And basically, I got a group of writing buddies who all have a specific purpose 
you know? Um, so because I think the other mistake I think people do, they have writing buddies who are just all telling them the same thing. They're all people coming from the same perspective at the same level. Um, and I, I always, you know, when I was, used to play tennis, I only ever played people who would, who, who would potentially beat me. You know, I, I, was only, I was only interested in getting better, you know, so I would pick the best tennis player and let them beat the crap out of me, you know, so that I was better and I was fiercer the next time I met them and I'd learned some tricks and I'd come back and hit them with it. You know, if you just go play the people you beat all the time, I mean, you're just stroking your ego. So it's, I think it's the same as writing, you know, stop stroking your ego, go in, get battered around by nice people you know that's the other thing pick very nice people so i'd have um, very nice people who um i trust implicitly to um because i know they like my work and they like my work so everything that comes next is not a battering of my ego or my talent it's about opportunities for me to get better at what i do easy you know so get over it get in there these people want you to do well and so i have like a, a first reader who I can show anything to and she will never judge me and she will go, you know, um, you know, Paul, oh my God, stop it. What are you doing? It's just, <laughs> you just, no, no, go back, you know, and then, and then I have another, you know, and then, then the next reader will be, you know, I've got one for place and I've got one for, um, you know, um, plot and action. And, and then, you know, there's, there's my final reader is like the, the, the rock, the author who is so brilliant that I would be ashamed to show anything other than something that's almost ready. And that person would just come in with a couple of lines to go, yes, or mm, you know what, um, you might want to look at um, how that character is for the second half, or you might want to look at just where the you're pacing from here and or, or whatever. And But yeah, I think it's... Um, I think being strategic about um, w what your weaknesses are, um, uh, finding out what they are, and then and then sort of getting the tools to fix it. And um, sometimes those tools are people, <laughs> and um, and being being, being um, getting that group of people who can you trust and um, who um, like your work. Um, I think that um, that definitely that was the massive leap that I made when I sat down and thought about that and, and then fixed it. Yeah, it almost sounds like blind spots. Like you're loving writing about dialogue and so you forget about the setting or the way the room looks. Mm -hmm. And so somebody mm -hmm. who's like, wait a minute, you know, needing to see that, mm -hmm. that they'll, they're almost spotting you for your blind spots. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I interviewed Gareth um, Grimwell recently and he was, um, he had read my book and he was saying to me, Oh, you could, I could just, so, cause he's a poet and you know, I was saying, oh, well, I could tell you were a poet. He was going, well, I could tell you were, you worked in uh, theater. I said, oh, why? And he says, because you have these sets. He said, like, you go, like, there's, the, there's, there's, there's the living room and then there's the, the, where the dog lives. And then there's the egg. And he said, and he said, like, there are all these sets. He said, I could see the sets in my head. And I was like, oh, we're moving scene. And we're kind of, like, and I said, oh, that's really fascinating. But, you know, I do think you, if you do have, um, another skill or another right in another form absolutely nothing wrong with bringing those skills to bear in your work i think play to your strengths particularly um at the beginning and um, when you want to make um your mark it's part of your voice you know so i wouldn't be too afraid of that either just um, bringing in um what you know so how did you get from because you said in the beginning you were focused on dance and movement and kind of nonverbal expression and so you went mm. from that to playwriting which is kind of exclusively verbal ex expression and then kind of went on and wrote a novel. So how did you get from 
movement to plays and then choose to go on from plays to fiction? Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, I think with plays, I mean, you know, a lot of it is what is unsaid, you know, so a lot of it, you know, you can suggest um, through character and um, you can work, especially particularly if you work with a group of actors like I did as a director, and you know, you can work on a lot of people, you know, how they're communicating physically, you know, to, um, you know, what what's beneath the most banal of phrases, you know, someone can say, how are you and mean it and 15 different ways you know can you know uh, but you know it's all about those kind of pauses and um and then you can use sets symbolically and so i think that really really helped me when you know to think about things like you know in in, in a play you can set up a um yeah you can set it up that when the green light is on that means we're in the past or you can set up that you know all sorts of symbolic stuff you can have you know that uh, pieces of set that are there that were through that only become relevant at the end that you think oh that's why that's there or you know there's all sorts of interesting stuff you can do um and i and i and i like that in um then bringing that thinking into writing um and i and i guess um so wh- how how that how that happened was i was doing um working with uh in theater and um uh it's a really bizarre story but yeah, an agent an actor's agent actually asked me to come to London to work with some who were struggling to make it as um, in the theatre world, but were incredibly talented and had started becoming stand-up comics. And and I was asked to go and work with the, with one in particular. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And just fell into writing comedy. I actually wrote comedy for eight years for stand-up comics, working on characters and basically these long monologues and short funny scenes so that that was quite an interesting thing to do create this character you know a bit sort of alan bennett talking heads um um which i'm not sure how big that is in america but we you know um just these kind of very these funny character studies but always very poignant and had a lot of emotion underneath and but very funny um and um so i did that and then um someone saw again very lucky someone saw uh, one of these and uh, he was an editor of a, an anthology of short stories, and he said, "Have you ever written a short story?" And I said, "No, I haven't written um, uh, since um, I was in, in school. You know, I haven't written any prose since I was in school. I haven't written sentences. I mean, <laughs> for about ten, twelve years or something. I just, I just, I only write dialogue, you know." And um, he said, well, "I really think you would make a really good short story writer. I'd really like to invite you to." Um, to um, go and um, go and do this, so I, I literally I had no idea what I was doing. So I just um, I wrote it in the voice of a little boy, um, because that would cover up all my mistakes. Um, because <laughs> I was now paranoid that I was going to, my grammar would be terrible, and I wrote it in the first person. So again, I could sort of be free with all of that, and um, and uh, and I wrote you know I called it what I did in my summer holidays because that was the last thing I could remember writing, which after after. <laughs> holiday at school and um and that that short story there became it did very well for me it was published in this anthology i toured around ireland england with the anthology when it came out i, I couldn't believe it it was getting very, very good reviews they were picking them out picking it out the reviews were picking it out in um, the papers and things as the story in in the anthology that stood out and everything i was like what and um and then then i decided um to turn that into a novel which is what i did i, I turned it into a novel to, to a very long time but yeah i i made that uh, the good son then eventually yeah so you say it took a very long time. Can you slow it down and talk about the process of taking a story 
because again, this goes into the ideas. It's like this idea of this this boy and then expanding it into a whole novel. How mm. did you begin to undertake that? Well, I mean, I, I actually teach a class about this now and uh, I've taught it at a few um, festivals, um, how, how, how you go about doing that. I mean, there are, there are a number of things that I did. Um, and obviously, you, you know, you can look at what happened before this story. You know, so this story, you know, my, my short story was a little boy running out of his house to go and visit his aunt. And it was quite funny because when I when I sat down to write this story, it was a memory I had as a kid about running to uh, go see my aunt. And there was, I think it was a 5,000 word limit or something. And um, he hadn't even got to his aunt's street and I'd already written 5,000 words. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, right, okay. And so, um, so what I started to do was think about, well, what happened before the story that, that, that I, I turned in and what happened after he left? his aunts you know so what happened when he got home after this traumatic thing had happened at his aunt's house were what was the story before this hard as he know is that so you can so first of all you can expand pre-story and then you can expand post-story what were the worlds before that what led to that moment where would that where would that go you don't have to do both but you can um so those were two areas i looked at i then looked at um one of the biggest things that, that really um helped me was to set it somewhere so um, I rooted it in a, sorry, when I say somewhere, I, I, I really clearly rooted it in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, and I rooted it in a time. So setting in, in time and place. So I thought, well, you know, here's, you know, I could set it anywhere and, um, you know, but I wanted to write something, particularly in my first novel, I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted, I wanted to have that confidence behind me that no one could come up and say to me, oh, that would never happen. But for some reason, that felt like something re that was really important to me in my first novel, that it, you know, that, that, that it was an authentic piece of work. And, um, and I felt that, um, you know, if I was going to talk about any period of time, why wouldn't I talk about the time when I grew up, which was in Belfast during the Troubles, which was a horrific time for um uh, for everyone involved and and uh, particularly for a child and i'd read and seen lots of um uh, fiction and non-fiction and film and television and whatever documentaries on the troubles but i'd never seen and re or read anything that was wholly from a child's perspective and i felt i felt that it was really important that to say something about that like how it shapes uh, young minds and how um, the first line of the book is, I was born the day the trouble started. And what that's saying is, you know, this kid doesn't know anything before this. So he doesn't know anything but fear. He doesn't know anything but, but terror, shootings, bombs. Um, he So he has no concept of a life. So he's a, he's, you know, he, and not only that, when you set up a story like that and you say that as your first line, what you're saying is, I'm talking for a generation. I'm going to speak for a generation of people who didn't know that this is what it was like to see it as every day, to see violence um, as every day, to be um, to live in fear basically every day of your life, and um, and um, yeah. So I I then so giving that that context um, um, that then so so giving it the time and place, gave it contact political context, social context. So but the story doesn't deal with any of that. The, the, the little short story, a little boy went to see his aunt. Something happens um, while he's there, and he and that's and he runs home. There's there's none of that in the story. Now, as a novel, the novel you couldn't have the novel without that. The novel is just drenched in that. It's 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 the arena 
where this story takes place and it affects everything that happens. Um, yet it's not a novel about the troubles. It's a novel about a little boy who's growing up in an environment that's very harsh and he's very gentle and soft. And and it's a story about how, in my definition of a hero, I think, is when it's when someone has to hold on so tightly to what they believed, their integrity, when everyone is telling them to let it go. When, 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 their fam- when his family is telling him to let it go, when his neighbours, when the kids in the street, when his school system is letting him down, when the political situation is letting him down, when, there's, when everything's saying stop being kind, stop being soft, stop being, you're going, you're, everyone's going to get you, they're going to kill you, they're going to destroy you. And you can see them destroying him as this book goes on. But he says, no. And he's, why, why would I want to live like, why would I be like you? Why would I want to be one of those people that makes those decisions? Why would I want to kill people? Why would I want to judge them on their religion? Why would I want to, why would I want to go around, you know, speaking in the most base way? Why would I not want to be educated? Why would I not want to love my little sister and be proud of loving my mom? And, you know, and you're going to beat me up for it and you're going to spit in your coming names and you're going to degrade me and you're going to, and you're going to, everything, it's all going to get me in so much trouble, but I'm not going to be you. I am not going to be you. And 10, 11, you know, and, and, and exploring sexuality, exploring everything, just going, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to, what is that? So, you know, he, he's, he's just, um, I think that to me was a definition of a hero. I really think that, you know, if you can, if you can hold on to that when everything and everyone is telling you to let it go um, or for, and trying to force it out of your hands, I think then that's, that to me is that's that's true heroism i think absolutely how much um i guess it's impossible not to pull this in but i always wonder when people are pulling from material that they experience themselves in some way like how was it to write about the troubles and kind of go back into that experience as part of the writing process it was it was tough. I mean, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I don't really say this very often because I think it all, you know, you know, you know, it's tough. It's not, you know, I'm not, um, you know, um, a boxer, or I'm not, and I'm, not, and I'm not someone like doing something, you know, like working, you know, fifteen-hour shifts in a hospital, and I'm not watching people die on my arms, and you know, all, you know. So it's, I want to, you know, I so I always feel really kind of awkward saying this, but. It was traumatic. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I cried often when I was um, writing this book, and I, I cried, you know, for me <laughs> as a little boy, and I cried for the for my country, and I cried for, um, I cried for the little boy that I was writing, you know, and who I was making go through this stuff, you know, and um, I find it difficult, um, but necessary. Um, I think that when you have a conviction, um, then you face these things, you know, you go, I know, I mean, for me as well, I mean, I, you know, I just talk about the writing process and I say, you know, it is, it's like drilling for oil, you know, you're drilling and you're drilling. And and for me, I think some writers, um, um, are looking out and they, they write from that beautifully, you know, they observe and they see detail and, um, and they write, um, completely fictional uh, work that's it's just about how they see the world and um, 
And I'm one of the other kind, you know, I sort of dig and dig and dig and dig, get deeper and deeper, deeper into myself and, 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 and stir all that silt up and kind of, you know, and dig until I sort of strike oil, you know, and then, then it'll come out of me a bit like the short story, it'll come out of me in an afternoon, you know, but it could take 20 years of searching, you know, but I think that for me it is about, um, I do believe that when, if you go deep enough and if you're true enough, if you're brave enough, if you're um, consistent enough with that, then you will write something this is the beautiful you know part of the thing is that you will actually write something really universal the more absolutely specific it is um the more likely it is it's going to be the deep the, especially the deep stuff you know that it, it, you're going to hit the nerves that that every human being has you know you know the stuff that drives us to do the things that we do is shame fear love um jealousy you know all of those things are universal so you know even though i wrote a book for example that's you know lots of northern irish dialect and and people say oh your god you're never going to get it published and it's never going to translate and you're never you're never going to get a fact <laughs> they, they told me you'll never sell the foreign rights and they'll never go for it anywhere else and they'll think it's too regional and you know you're going to block people out and actually it's not the case you know i think that you know if you write a story about um pain and um you write a story about love and and um you know how far we go to protect the ones we love i mean that's a universal story and i think you know for me you know um and then the book ended up getting translated in french and german and it's come out in hungarian and russian and all this kind of stuff like i go who said that wouldn't get translated <laughs> oh yeah but but i do think that that's from coming that wasn't from me looking around outside that was for me digging and digging and digging and getting you know, remembering what happened, but then digging further to the why and the what. And I think, um, you know, you know, why did this happen? What, you know, what was my part in those things? And, you know, what have I done as a human being that um, that I that have motivated me, or that I that I'm afraid of, of or that I um, that I regret, um, that I'm proud of, and and thinking about. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where, what the root of your behaviour is, and I think that I was originally writing a very angry book, you know, because when I when I first got down there, I was so angry, angry at um, you know, for for all those children like me who you know who grew up and it was just taken for granted that we would survive, you know, and most of us did not survive unscathed, you know, and some of us didn't survive at all, you know, and I think that there was a lot of anger in me that people just didn't know about it and the troubles in Northern Ireland um, you know I did a lot of travelling and people were just you know and if they did this sort of thought oh yeah I, yeah I know that uh, yeah I saw a documentary once or something I go, well you don't really know about it then <laughs> but they would kind of go oh yeah 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 Catholics Protestants and, and, um, and it was also it was sort of that sort of thing where people sort of dismissed it a little bit you know and that made me quite angry and when I especially when I thought about just how horrible it was and and uh, and then I but then then I then I I just thought as I got older, the book took a long time to write. And as I got older, I became more aware of my own uh, mistakes in, in the world and life. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to be as generous to my past as I wanted people to be as generous about it. <laughs> I wanted others to be generous to me and, and about my past and the mistakes I'd made. So why don't I turn that on? Um, this situation and see if I can't be generous within this. So rather than looking back in anger, I decided to look back with kindness and forgiveness. And so I try to 
understand every single character and and all all that was going on and see the see some sort of love you know even 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 if that love led people to do very bad things but that the motivation was love and um and uh yeah that really helped me transform it into something that wasn't just a kind of you know angry rant um but rather a much more complex story do you think you would have gotten to that place without writing the book because i think i think about this a lot because on the surface you know writing a novel is kind of an insane thing to do because it takes forever <laughs> There's, you know, you have lots of people saying things to you, like you said, like, oh, this isn't a real career thing. Like, it's never, no one's going to buy it. No one's going to want to read it. You know, all these things. Even yeah. if you have supportive friends, you kind of know, like, okay, I'm probably not going to make Dan Brown money off of this book, but I still, <laughs> I still have to do it. And so I keep thinking yeah. about the other reasons you would want to do it. And it sounds like exploring this story over the course of the time it totally changed the relationship you had with a period of your life is that mm. is that true well i to be honest i think it went um hand in hand i mean i think that i i had some sort of pretty major life experiences which then made me if i'm honest i think then when i had put i had put the book away and when i came to look at it again i saw what i'd written and i i it worked but i you know i wasn't I was no longer happy to put that into the world. You know, I kind of thought, well, if this is the only book I write, let's let's imagine this is the only book I write. You know, is that what I want to add to the world? And I know that in some ways it will make it much more literary if I keep it this dark, um, you know, and um, unless people read it or let it. But and I kind of thought, well, you know, I I wanted to write something um, that reached more people and I wanted to write write something that had a kindness at its heart you know so rather than you know pointing my finger and wagging it and 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 shouting at people you know i wanted to say i wanted to kind of i wanted to kind of god i guess hold my arms open and say would you just listen would you just could you just please just listen to this five minutes if that's all you can handle or whatever so rather than tell them off i was i was inviting them to come and sit down and listen to a story and i think that that's what i wanted and i think your intention is very important i think look, there are many different ways you can write there's so many um reasons to do it you know no one can tell you your reason but i always say when i go to when i teach classes i say you know have a philosophy know why you're doing it and if it's to make money then know that's what you want to do if it's to entertain people but if it's to um for me you know i wanted to put a story that i felt needed to be written for to speak for my people as grand as that sounds um, but I was also, that was a book I also left in a drawer for six years and didn't look at, you know, so in a sense, I did only write it for myself, but I only wanted, I, I, you know, I even, I did get to the point where I kind of thought, well, you know, if, 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 if someone discovers this after I die, you know, I'm okay with that, you know, um, um, but I, then of course, something magical happens, I think <laughs> when you finish a piece of work and you're really proud of it, <laughs> that you actually go, 
Yeah, you know when I said um, the thing about me happy that, you know, that, and it was just for me and everything. Well, can I change my mind now? Can I see if I can get an agent and a publisher? <laughs> so, so I think that the thing that does really change you. Um, but um, yeah, definitely for me, it was um, yeah, finding that intention, having that passion. I mean, because if you for me anyway, you know, like. You know, I was working as a full-time teacher. I was getting up and um, I had to be uh, at work, you know, um, at like 8 a.m. And I lived an hour away from work. So I was getting up at 5, you know. And I was working for a couple of hours and then leaving the house and then going to work, working all day, coming back. And I should go to my kitchen. I wouldn't let myself go to the living room in case I sat and sat down in something comfortable. And then, you know, and then, then I'd be lost. So I'd have to go to the kitchen. I had to keep my coat on. You know, open all the windows and keep my coat on. I sit freezing by this window, you know, when I get in and I had to do two hours before I could take my coat off, have a cup of tea or do anything, you know, and I, you know, and I had to work really, really hard on it. So, you know, if you want something that's going to make you do that, um, you're going to have to be, it's going to have to be something, you you know, that's firing you up inside, you know, whatever that motivation is, whether it's money, whatever that thing you've decided is your, is your well, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, um, I think if you don't know what's there, um, I think, you'll go, you know, one day you just go and you put that bucket down and you bring it up and there's there's no water in it. You know, there's nothing coming and you just, you suddenly go, what, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? You know, and if you don't have that as your base, you're, um, I think, I think you're lost. I think also it's in, it's on the page. I think you're, whatever that is, whatever that intention um, you have behind your work, I think that's part of your voice. You know, it's on that page when people are reading it, even if it's not in the dialogue and even if it's not in the plot. I think readers know what kind of author you are and they read it off you and they love you because of it. And I think there's a real interest in, I believe, I mean, this is just personal stuff. I think we're all writers, we're all bananas. I mean, for God's sake, don't listen to what we say. But, you know, I think that when I used to, when I used to work with um, comedians, I used to say, look, there's a difference between a comedian who people like and a, com a comedian people love. If you love a comedian, they can talk about cornflakes. They can, there's nothing funny in their sentence. They can, before they've even spoken, you're, you're already laughing at them because you've just fallen in love with their whole character, with their tone, with the way they see the world and their whole kind of joy or their, or their, you know, uh, uh, their anger or whatever it is but you've just you've bought it and you love them and you know and then you'll see you'll go to see them do anything just like the actors you love you'll see them even in rubbish films because you just love them and and I think that authors are like that you know I think that you know and how do you get your author's voice across even if you're doing different books and you're writing different characters I think that's part of it I think part of it is your intention you know it's also about your gaze you know who are the people you're writing about you know who are you or, or, or what are you looking for and what is it you're trying to say about the world that we live in? And I think people, you know, then um, go, yeah, I know I know what I'm going to get when I read this book. I'm, I'm going to get challenged. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to I'm going to cry or, you know, I'm going to, you know, and 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 they um and they want to read you because they feel they've bought they've bought into you as a writer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I am so grateful that you uh you took the time to, to come on with us, Paul. It's been so wonderful. And I want to ask, oh, are you that's... are you working on another book yet? Or are you still kind of basking in the afterglow of The Good Son? Oh, at this I'm stage? a real basker. I'm a, <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, a basket case. Now, um, what I've been doing is, yeah, I've been doing loads and loads of traveling, uh, which has been fantastic. So I've been sort of, you know, I've definitely I've been, I've been surfing along um, the waves of my, uh, my my novel. So and um, and it, and it, and it hasn't stopped. I mean, I'm off. Um, I'm off to um, San Francisco. I'm going to the, and, I, and I'm going to the, the Litquake there, and I'm going to um, the Scottish Writers Festival, and um, in uh, uh, that's in October. And I'm going to Cork Festival in Dublin and and, and Switzerland, and then I'm off to Bali, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, and Australia, and that all goes on till the end of the year. But I've just had a short story out in Numero Sync, which I think it's a it, it's a it's a really great um, online uh, journal, um, and I've been working on some stories that have been on my computer for a very long time, and and I've decided to come and dust them off and and sort of see what tinker with them so that was one of them and i've got another couple so i'm interested in um hopefully trying to get a little a collection of short stories and again this and the linking this um idea about touch and you know loosely kind of related to that um i do have an, an idea for another book but i feel like i need a chunk of time um to to, to, to get to get at it and that's quite hard when you're traveling around a lot and you know you're also trying to earn money and 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 do practical things like really boring things like earning money and figuring out how you do that and yeah. Um, but um yeah it's been really it's been great um and I can't um I can't say that I haven't been very lucky well I'm I'm really excited we're going to link to the book and your new story and hopefully oh, anyone listening in San Francisco will try to see you at Litquake and um maybe in Los Gatos as well but you've got plenty of spots but you've got a whole thing on your website about where you're going to be so everybody should take a peek and see if they can see you see you in person over the next few months brilliant okay that's fantastic and uh, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me on I've really enjoyed it thank you so much we've enjoyed it too all right you take care thank you for listening to the secret library podcast the show is produced by me Caroline Donahue and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr my tireless audio engineer to get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.